1: High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! Welcome to episode 147 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, 147 career starts for the Giants for Mark Gardner. I think the definition of good giant.
2: Ooh, yeah. Mark, and does that count as a regular season game, the wildcard playoff game in 1998? Oh, boy. Yeah, you know, that was. It, it.
1: That does include that game because that was an actual regular season game. It does not include any starts in the 2000 NLDS because, as we know, that series was never finished. It was canceled due to uh, <laughs> weather.
2: Well, I think that does count as actually two regular season games because Steve Traxel pitched for the Cubs that day, which means the time of game was probably somewhere between six and eight hours.
1: He's still pitching. Yeah. So that game's still going on. I mean, the 98 Giants still might win the World Series.
2: Oh, he just threw over to first runner back.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, we're not here to talk about Steve Traxlow as much as I I feel like that's a guy we could probably fill 30 minutes for. Um, (laughs) But we're here to talk about the Giants. And
2: and, uh, so uh, they're selling now, right? Um, Well, first of all, um, how was your All-Star break?
1: It was, you know, it was good. It was weird. It's always weird when they have that like extra day after the, like you're expecting a day after the all star game, but then they have the day after that. So it's like weird with no baseball. Like our brains are broken by this point in the season. And it's kind of like, all right, come on. Where's the baseball? Give me more baseball. So my brain's broken like that. I'm not sure. How was yours?
2: Good. It was nice to kind of check out for a little while, and um, you know, sort of pay tabs on the home run derby from afar. I still love the part where they introduce all the all stars and everyone tips their caps. Now people seem to like wave. What happened to writing "Hi Mom" on your uh, on your uh, batting gloves? I, that that was a big thing for a while, in, and I think the early '90s. They need to bring that back.
1: Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's a total trend. That is like you can date yourself by, hey, I put high mom on my on my gloves or my hat or whatever. It was. And your that, name is
2: Chuck Noblock, And shout out to you, Mrs. Noblock.
1: <laughs>
2: well, you know, you get one shot.
1: You get one shot to pull a high mom. I mean, it should happen more often, I think.
2: I agree. But no, it was it was a good break. And and I I sort of rolled it into the uh, the first series after the break in St. Louis. Uh, So um, just sort of watched it from afar, but didn't pay too close tabs. But yeah. So, you know, like you said, uh, they they lost two out of three in St. Louis. Anything that concerns you from from that uh, opening series out of the break? Nah, not really. I
1: mean, it's it's if they got a couple of uh, hits, well-timed hits they would have done very well. I'm generally not worried about losses like that. As far as the big picture, I mean, if it happens and it's the reason you missed the postseason, obviously you're not happy with that result. It doesn't like uh, portend doom when, when you're not getting that key hit with the bases loaded, when you're not getting that runner in from third with fewer than two outs. They'll do that. They just didn't against St. Louis. And for whatever reason, they've had troubles doing that against St. Louis, especially Alex Reyes, who is an absolute wizard and a freak and I don't not think it's going to keep up for him, but he sure got the Giants number after he gives up a couple of walks.
2: Yeah, they they, they, they set up the good opportunities against him, but then obviously weren't able to cash in. I, I agree. I think it would be a series that – you kind of sort of cringe a little bit if they give up like nine runs a game or if the pitching looks like it's it's really rusty coming out of the break. But, you know, you have a couple RISPs that don't work out and you lose a couple close games. Uh, I, I don't think that's the end of the world. And, you know, that they're going to have Buster Posey back. They're going to have uh, Kevin Gaussman back to start a pretty important series against the Dodgers. So, you know, this this is probably when the lights need to come on.
1: Yeah, I wish I had the numbers uh in front of me for what the Cardinals did in the 2002 NLCS. Because I know I've written it. It's one of my favorite stats. They were something like three for 42 in that 2002 NLCS. It's why the Giants got to the World Series. And... That's not sustainable, but when it happens in a five, you know, in a best of seven series, it sure is painful. So you get worried about it if that happens in the NLDS or the NLCS. Eh, right now, I, I think they're fine. That first win out of the break was a very Giants win. They're just hitting a bunch of dingers. They're working the pitcher. They're doing everything that they were doing in the first half. I think that they'll be fine.
2: Yeah, and you know, we we know that there are some some candidates for a little second half regression. Uh, it's an older team. It's the oldest position player group in the National League. But, you know, I I still look at Mike Yastrzemski as a guy that they haven't seen the best of yet. And we know that he's one of the top 10, you know, most valuable players in the league last year. So to see him come out and have a game like that on Friday, two home runs out of the break, uh, I, I do think they need to start getting some more out of Alex Dickerson. Uh, some some more uh, um, out of some other people on on the roster. I read Tim Kawakami's piece that was sort of a a look at the Giants at the break, and we followed this team all along. So you kind of know this, but to see it spelled out that their home run differential was like near 50. So they're getting a half a home run more per game than their opposition. I mean, and that's a huge, huge advantage. If you entered any game with a half a run advantage, and that's basically where they are, and that's not even counting the homers that uh, were two run or three run or, or, or grand slam home runs. So I think that uh, you know the power is is part of their game, but then they're also, as you pointed out, uh, almost a 500 team when they don't hit a homer. So I don't see a whole lot of ways that this is going to crater really soon. But you know, all that to be said, they've done a great job holding off the Dodgers for this long. And, uh, and now they're going to have to do it a little bit more.
1: I haven't looked at the numbers since, uh, Friday's game, but after Friday's win, I looked up the numbers of what the giants are on pace for. And I, I hate on pace stats as much as the next guy, but it does inform you as how goofy the giants are right now with the home runs they're on pace to hit the most home runs ever. By a Giants franchise uh, or a Giants team. And it's like, this is not a franchise that has lacked for home run talent. This is not the Royals who had to wait, you know, 30 years to get a 40 home run hitter. This is the team of Mays and Bonds and McCovey and Mel Ott and, and all these guys. And they they played in the, the live ball era. They played in the Mitzel Report era. This team, This team right now is the one that's hitting more home runs than any of them. It is bananas. They played in the Kevin Mitchell era as well. (laughs) Two Mitchell era. The Kevin Mitchell would be a great name for a blog if it were like 2005. Oh, wow. Yeah, it would. That would be great. I think you raise a good point where it's like there are players you always can focus on. Crawford and Posey and the regression. And is Duggar going to keep hitting? Is uh, uh, is Lamont Wade Jr. going to keep this up? And you... You do have those players, that is correct, but you also have players like Solano, which I think you know, he started the second half pretty well. Uh, you have Dickerson, you have Austin Slater, you have some guys who can get going that can help reinforce the Giants if some of this regression happens.
2: The regression that I would be concerned about is probably on the pitching side. And you mentioned runners in scoring position in the Cardinals in that series in 2002. Well, the Giants have a pitcher who is holding batters to five for 59 with runners in scoring position. And that's Kevin Gossman. And, uh, you know, a lot of that is the fact he's really good. And he probably throws a splitter a lot more in those situations. And that pitch is really good. But, you know, 085 with runners in scoring position is probably going to be something that'll balance out a little bit more. So I do think that this is a Giants team that probably will have to weather a downturn or two from the starting rotation that they really didn't have to weather in the first half. It's just kind of the law of averages. So That would lead us into a discussion of what this team needs to add via trade, which uh, we know is coming up at the end of this month. It's almost two weeks away. Go ahead and and keep a browser tab open on MLBTradeRumors.com, also TheAthletic.com. And uh, (laughs) I'm contractually obligated to say that because it's going to be really interesting in these next two weeks. And, And the Giants, I think, have to fortify what they have just because... You know, these veterans bought in. Gabe Kapler and his staff, they've worked diligently. I think it's up to ownership and and the front office to support all of this effort with their own. And I, I have every belief that they will. I don't know if they're going to be huge, huge, you know, red letter acquisitions. But I do think that help is going to arrive on the way. And I would imagine that most of it's going to be on the pitching front.
1: You bring up a good point because when I'm looking back with my historical goggles on and I'm I'm looking at the 1997, the the White Sox white flag trade, and I'm looking and it feels like the Giants didn't get, you know, a ton out of Wilson Alvarez as much as they were expecting, at least Uh, Danny Darwin didn't do a whole lot. Roberto Hernandez was good for a while, but he struggled down the stretch a little bit like the value wasn't quite there. But I forget about the message and the Giants won that division that they were not supposed to win. And there has to be at least a little part of of you that that thinks, yeah, but does the team win the division if they don't have that full like statement of faith from the front office? I bet that fired the clubhouse up in the best possible way.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I think of a team that I covered going back. It was the Angels in. I guess it was maybe '97 or '98, one of those years. And the Texas Rangers went out and they got Todd Zeal, Todd Stottlemyre, and Esteban Loaiza for Esteban Loaiza's pitching talents, not his other talents. And the the Angels got nothing. I think they got like Rich Delucia or something, who was a left-handed reliever who looked like he could really do a bang-up job on your taxes. And the Angels were deflated. You could tell walking in that room. Oh man, we're neck and neck with this team that just added three really good players. And we got nothing so I, I do think that can have a big time impact if you're on a team that is expecting some kind of boost and we've seen it with giants teams you know whether it's hunter pence or, or marco scudero they don't have to be huge additions they just have to be people that you know make your team better and so i, I do think that boost will probably come at some point from this front office and, and i i got to think that You know it'll be well received within the clubhouse, Uh, uh, but at the same time, as Farhan Zaidi said, um, you know the week before the, the All Star break, you really think long and hard about making deals that could disrupt your team and the rhythm you have going. And obviously, this is a team that hasn't lost more than four games all season in a row. So, you know I think they're going to be very measured and not make moves for the sake of making moves because that could just disrupt what you've got going on
1: yeah i saw a fake trade uh floating around twitter uh i I apologize i don't know where i saw it or who who put it in front of me but it was a trade for joey gallo and kyle gibson at the same time And it ended up like you've got Elliot Ramos going the other way, but you also have Logan Webb going the other way. And as far as fake trades go, it was one of the more reasonable ones uh, where you had a lot of value going both ways. And it kind of made sense in a little bit. But do you really want to disrupt the team that much? Do you want to subtract from the active roster? I don't think the Giants would be keen on doing that. Uh, I know they have a roster crunch coming up, but it it seems like, yeah, you don't want to mess with the overall vibe of the club. House and the roster right now.
2: I really do think that and we've made this point before. If they can help it, I think they would much rather trade off the 40 man roster. It just is going to help them with some of their roster crunch, as you mentioned. And some of that has been pushed back a little bit with Tommy Listella having setbacks with Evan Longoria being transferred to the 60 day IL, which means he's not coming back until august which gives him a little time to sort things out uh and gives him a little more time to to you know work through what he's got to work through from a timing standpoint and go on minor league rehab assignment but yeah you know i think we're going to see the same teams kind of rumored a lot and one would be the rangers one is the minnesota twins and another is probably the cubs and i i I think those are three teams that we're going to just be sort of hearing a lot about and i'm sure they'll have scouts that will be uh you know uh, in attendance and, and and let's not make too much of the whole Ooh, there was a scout from the twins there i mean <laughs> a lot of these teams just do what they do off video anyway these days so having here anytime you hear a report about a scout from a certain organization being on the giants just realize that that's not very important
1: Hug watch is still very important though. When they when they start hugging in the dugout, you you gotta freak out. Right? If
2: Wilmer Flores starts crying, you know something's going down. Oh God, that was the worst freaking.
1: Oh God, that makes me sick to my stomach just thinking about that. I know it's so
2: sad. It's so sad. And I asked him. I asked him what he thought about the. Uh, The friends reunion. And he said that he did cry a little bit, but he said, Hey, I'm an emotional guy. Everyone knows that.
1: That's when I I figured out by the reaction of Mets fans how much they liked him. Like he was not just some guy to Mets fans. Like Mets fans really had an attachment to Wilmer Flores. And that reaction was part of that. Like he had an attachment to Mets fans too. It just turns out that he's kind of a solid
2: dude. And Dwayne Kuyper loves him. And if, if Dwayne Kuyper loves you, that is, that is a good character assessment right there. That, 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 that uh, reflects well on you, I think.
1: We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right.
1: When it comes to trading off of the 40-man roster, uh, you brought that up earlier, and uh, you have convinced me. And if I have one bold trade deadline prediction, regardless of what happens, it's that Alexander Canario is going to be dealt. Just because, A, he is uh, not necessarily crucial to the Giants' short-term plans, and B, he's on the 40-man roster. Uh, C, he's kind of had a really hot stretch of July, so he's increased his trade value dramatically since a slow May. So uh, that is my bold prediction. Does that track with you?
2: I think so, but it's going to have to be a rebuilding team because a rebuilding team can afford to have a guy taking up a 40-man roster space when you don't really profile it for them to be in the big leagues for a couple of years. It's really hard for the Yankees or a team like where the Giants are now to roster someone like that. But if you're the Orioles, then yes, it, it's it's a lot easier. So I think that Canario could be a good trade target, but probably for a team that... Is definitely going to be rebuilding, and 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 you'd have to ask the Cubs or the Twins if they feel that they're in that in that realm right now. But um, you know, I think that uh, we've talked a lot about what starters they're going to try and go get. Uh, you know, the way that Farhan Zaidi has has described it is we're going to be open to rentals. We may not give up a lot for them. I, I think they're going to be on John Gray. They really like him. Uh, I think they're going to be on a lot of different rentals. But they do realize that it would be an even bigger plus if they could get a starting pitcher with some cost control. And I think they've kind of downplayed that their ability to do that. But there are some names out there. And you just wrote something, uh, I think you just filed today, right, That going over some of the, the possibilities.
1: Yeah, and, and there was a common thread throughout it. Uh, it was a two-pronged sort of reaction. Yes, the Giants would want them holy heck, would it cost a lot in terms of prospects? And you have guys like John Means, uh, the Orioles, you know, maybe he he gives up a lot of home runs. And for a left-hander in Camden Yard, uh, it's not the best fit for a franchise. You know, he's on the old, he's not exactly like a 22 year old prospect. He's approaching 30. There is a chance that the Orioles could say, now's the time to get value for him. At the same time, they don't have to. It would take another team backing up the prospect truck and dumping it on their front lawn. And that is is that goes throughout all these teams. You know, the, the twins don't have to trade Jose Barrios. And not only do they not have to trade him, but you you make a good point where they might not be interested in A-ball prospects. They might not be interested in Alexander Canario. They might not be interested as, or as interested, I should say, in like Luis Matos, uh, because it, they maybe want to contend next year. They may want to contend in two years. Like they don't want someone who is three, four years down the road And when you start putting that into the equation, you're talking the Orioles, the Tigers, maybe the Rockies, perhaps the the Diamondbacks, the Pirates, you know, you start limiting yourself once you start going, because that's what the Giants have in abundance are prospects who maybe aren't as close to the majors as they could be. And so it makes it trickier to to match
2: up. And one guy who we know is close to the majors because he was just in the majors for One very chin-scratching game in the National Series before the All-Star break was Joey Bart. So to what extent do you think Joey Bart is a trade chip? And what would you have to get for him to justify trading him? And do you think that at least partially the reason that he was up for that one game was to showcase him a little bit?
1: It could be. I mean, he has been raking in AAA. Again, it's tricky because the Orioles would have no use for Joey Bart. Their top prospect is a catcher who is uh, close to major league ready. So you're going to limit yourself there. But a lot of teams would love Joey Bart. The Giants would love Joey Bart. I mean, they'd love to fill their needs and have Joey Bart there at the same time. But this goes back to, look, he was drafted by the previous front office. There are holes in his offensive game that maybe don't align with the Giants' vision as far as uh, plate discipline, the ability to to make uh, uh, good strike zone decisions. So there is a lot of that going on. I would not be surprised at all to see Bart traded. I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, I brought up Patrick Bailey as as not doing so hot in the minor leagues, but then you countered with Ricardo Henevez doing well. And maybe that's the catcher of the, you know, distant future. And you have a team option for buster posey that looks like it's a pretty good deal right now i wouldn't be surprised it would have to be someone for you know team control if not someone under team control for the next two seasons uh then a barrios who is at an ace level for this season and next
2: i think that they don't need joey bart between buster posey probably coming back next year Between Henevis looking like he could really be a good frontline catcher. I mean, this is a guy who's got, who's really getting on base. And, you know, he's got to matriculate through the upper minors and prove he can do it, but he's still got youth on his side. Between Patrick Bailey, who, you know, has had a tough year, but they obviously think a lot of him is a first round pick. I don't think that this is a franchise that needs Joey Bart to be an everyday player. I think he's expendable. I also think that. They know they don't want to part with a lot of inputs from their farm system. So if they're going to deal a Joey Bart, I don't think it's, it's a matter of is it worth it to trade him for you know Taylor Rogers and Kenta Maeda? And you've got two more years of club control with Maeda, one more year with Rogers, two guys who you know are going to make your staff instantly better. But what if there's something better out there? What if there's a Joey Gallo? Deal, and that is, you know, might be a higher impact deal. I just think that they're going to have to think very carefully about how they shoot their shot if they do trade Joey Bart, because I don't see the equation being can they afford to part with him. I think they can. I think it's more a matter of once we part with them, we won't have that big chip to play, and maybe the next uh, place that we could we could play it would be. Even better, we don't want want to have a regret over that. So I think they're going to be very judicious about it. I don't think they're going to give Joey Bart away, but I do think they're going to be open to moving him.
1: That is a good point. And, you know, we have such a focus on the Giants next season having only Logan Webb under contract. And so we're hyper focused on the trade deadline. And so we're trying to solve two problems at once. If the Giants don't do that and they get a John Gray, they get a pending free agent like a Danny Duffy. I don't know. And then they go into the offseason and now they still have four rotation spots to fill. It would be pretty pretty sweet to have Joey Bart coming off a monster season in AAA. That would be the kind of trade tip where you can just set up your lemonade stand uh, in the front of the winter meetings and have teams come to you. Because if he keeps hitting like he's hitting in Sacramento, teams will be very, very curious. Because then they could present, okay, here's the guy we got in this big deal where we traded away a fan favorite, uh, but he's in the majors right now. You get to watch him right now. He's exciting right now. That is like good fan service, and it also makes good for... A good sense for uh, an organization to to follow that lead.
2: Yeah. So now it's a matter of what what uh, what is it? Uh, what's a trade where it would be worth uh, worth spending that bullet? I guess. And um, and I think that I can't imagine it would be for anyone who's a rental. I think you'd have to get some club control, or maybe even spin it down, and you get a rental with a prospect attached, or. Um, you know, and maybe you don't even have to give up a lot of prospects to, to do what they want to do. Maybe you're able to take on some money that other teams want to flush, whether it's Kyle Hendricks or this is completely pulled out of my nether regions. But you know, what if the twins say, hey, we'll give you Maeda and we'll give you Taylor Rogers, but you got to take the big truckload haul still owed to Josh Donaldson and figure out what to do with them." And maybe, and maybe they spin them somewhere else. Uh, maybe they spin him back to the A's, who knows? But uh, I, I just wonder if there are other ways they can do what they want to do to add talent without necessarily having to subtract some of their shiny prospect baubles.
1: I don't know Josh Donaldson personally. He would be a very different personality in the 2021 Giants clubhouse. I, agree. Uh, I, I don't know if it would be a bad personality. Maybe they need, like, one guy to, to get a little bit of focus and to be a chatterbox. At the same time, it would be very, very different.
2: It would. And he's owed, what, $21 million, I think, each of the, the next two seasons after this one. Uh, an $8 million buyout on a club option in 2024? Yeah, that's uh, bordering on some toxic money. So, Uh, And maybe you can do something with that. Yeah, you know, you brought up Kyle Hendricks. Uh, while I was writing that,
1: he seems like a really attractive option. He, his ERA was, gosh, close to seven uh, at the end of April, but he's pitched like an ace since then with an ERA under two in like 14 starts. He's, he's looking just outstanding since that weird April. Uh, he's under team control for the next two seasons. Uh, I think he has a... No, he doesn't have a team option after that. So it's two more years after this season. And it makes sense uh, as a win now move. It makes... W- Make sense as a win next year move. And it just makes sense in terms of what the giants are looking for in a starting pitcher. I just don't know if the Cubs are committing to that full rebuild yet. Uh, seems like they should be with Baez, Rizzo and Bryant all pending free agents, but I don't know if they've made that decision yet.
2: Well, we're just going to have to ask Scott Harris, just put some truth serum in him <laughs> and, and, and find out. Because, I, And honestly, that that's a big advantage to have a Scott Harris if you're dealing with the Cubs or, uh, it was an advantage to have uh, Zach Manassian when you when you were dealing with the Milwaukee Brewers you know, last year, the Pomerants and Dubon trade. You know you, you know those systems so well, and sometimes that can be a, can keep you from getting a deal done because if you have someone who knows that system so well, you tend to ask for the people that they don't want to give up, and and you can find yourself at, at loggerheads a little bit. But uh, I feel like there's a lot of, of players out there that could be gettable that could make this team better however they would incorporate them and one thing i think they do need to get i think they do need some postseason experience in the starting rotation or elsewhere on the pitching staff because maybe experience in the postseason is overrated i, I still feel like you get those people who've been there before i mean akin to Maeda was so valuable for the dodgers in the postseason i keep coming back to him as a guy that could really really help this team and he's trending in the right direction. Uh, after sort of being a little nicked up to start the year, so says our twins analog, Mr. Dan Hayes. So um, he, he's he's a guy that I think is really interesting. But um, but the cool thing about this is they don't just have you know one or two potential ways they could go. There's there seems like there's a lot of different uh, options out there for them.
1: Now I'm going to tie a bow on this in, in such an expert way it's going to blow your mind. Okay. You just mentioned uh, postseason ex- experience. And you also mentioned the idea of uh, maybe taking on money or uh, getting someone who might be a dented can in a way where a team maybe uh, doesn't ask for as much Or uh, maybe they include a prospect, Will Wilson style. So I'm thinking of a pitcher who has the highest strikeout rate that he's had in five years. He is owed a a little bit of money for the next three seasons, but he has postseason experience. He has relieved in the postseason. He relieved in Game 7 of the World Series once. He is a a starting pitcher who has success. Madison (laughs) Baumgartner. The Diamondbacks are giving a prospect. Now the Giants are adding to the farm system. I mean, am I... Am I just nuts? I think this could work, he says half-heartedly.
2: How did I not see that coming? I was thinking, are you talking about Adam Wainwright? Who, who, who is, how in the world? Actually, he kind of looks like Madison Bumgarner, I always thought. He that did sort of uh, um, take me by surprise. I'm not sure why I didn't catch the, catch your, your what you were slinging out there, but um, I, oh boy, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I feel like the, that, that ship has sailed. I mention it to Kid. I do think that if his name
1: were uh, Tom Jones that well A he'd have a, a much better discography but you know he would uh, be more appealing if he didn't have the history with the Giants if he's just some dude with no history no attachment he would make a ton of sense in that Zach Cozart kind of way where you could maybe get a prospect eat the money the Giants and his contract is front loaded even so that when the Giants maybe are adding salary you know the last year of his contract is the cheapest and the next two years are when the Giants are going to have all this money to play with. So it makes sense on like seven levels, except I don't think he wants to come back. And I don't think the Giants would, be, you know, I think there's a reason they parted ways
2: yeah you know i the one thing about madison is he knew what he accomplished and he knew what he could get away with that's why he skated on fan fest a bunch of times that's why he you know was able to kind of do whatever he wanted he knew he had bruce Bochy in his pocket and could make any request buster posey caught his every start i mean he he was able to be in a position to demand whatever he wanted and he got it and i think he abused it a little bit to be honest and and probably even got away with not being called out by by us on that because of everything he's accomplished during that time. But you know you mentioned uh, the way the contract is, is loaded. what really sucks for Arizona is in 2020, his annual salary was six million. I mean that's it. Then it went up to 19, then 23, 23, and then down to 14 in the, in the final year, which is what you were referring to. But in the year where everyone gave back two-thirds of their salary, <laughs> the Diamondbacks realized very quickly that they had a declining asset, and they were only paying him like two million bucks in 2020. So, you know, the fact that his his salary was so low in that first year looked like you know a big win for the organization when they um, negotiated the contract, and it turned out to be really rotten luck for that organization because Bumgarner is going to end up making a lot more of his overall contract than he otherwise would have.
1: Our producer, Brian, just passed along that Kyle Crick was designated for assignment, which is interesting to me. But then I looked, apparently he has been walking more than six batters per nine innings in each of the last three seasons. Uh, that's not good. So Kyle Crick, maybe he's on his way back. Probably not, but he'll always be remembered as the only player traded for Andrew (laughs)
2: McCutter. Right. Yes. That was the deal.
1: That was (laughs) the only person in that deal. No one else was in that deal. I mean, were you expecting anything out of Brian Reynolds? I thought that was just like a, like a decent piece, but he's blown me away.
2: They were a little bit down on him just because he hadn't really blown the doors off, uh, uh, the Cal League or, or. I think they had kind of soured on him in their evaluation a little bit. I mean, clearly, to be able to part with him. But I will say, as an upshot, uh, you know, to, to end with, on, a, on a positive note, I was reading Melissa Lockard's fantastic uh, Giants minor league notebook, which to call it a notebook is, it's a compendium. I mean, it, it's it's really fantastic. <laughs> There's so much in there. Please do check it out if you haven't, or if you don't regularly read it. She had a note in there about Perlander Barroa who was the other guy that they got in addition to Kai Wei Tang and Jalen Davis from the Twins for Sam Dyson. And this guy is blowing doors off and throwing 98 miles an hour in the Cal League. So it looks like he could be a really, really good prospect. So, hey, that, that would be another reason for the Twins to slam the receiver as soon as the Giants call.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, thanks a lot, Prelander. Like, now they won't even pick up our calls. Great, Prelander. Um, you yeah, to be that good. <laughs> Yeah, I do think the Twins match up the best, but uh, boy, oh boy, should they ignore the Giants phone calls. All right. This has been episode 147 of the Bags and Brisbane podcast. We will be back and we'll talk, uh, you know, about Dodgers stuff. This is a a minor series coming up, right? A little little bit of interest?
2: After this series is over, no returning Dodger Stadium until the one game wildcard playoff. (laughs) (laughs) hey Giants and Dodgers have never faced each other in the postseason if it happens this year it'll be the first time ever but you know if if it doesn't happen then this will be their last visit to Dodger Stadium and so hey you know that's not bad
1: I've made a a lot of uh, points about you know I'm not like a traditional fan anymore how you know now I'm a professional writer and I'm not you know you don't call me a fan like I've made these points before A one-game playoff against the Dodgers would still make me barf. I don't think you can extract that from my DNA. Just I would be barfing before first pitch. Mark Gardner is already getting loose. (laughs) All right, this is episode 147. We will be back and talk about what the Giants did against those pesky Dodgers. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then.